Good morning. Today's scripture is from 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring them God will bring the, with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will arise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Good morning. We're good. All right. I didn't know. I didn't know. We're at the... uh, uh, Midway point in this uh, uh, study that we began a couple weeks ago, where we are thinking about the Christian responsibility to strive for heaven, right? This is our, our end goal that we're aiming towards, to strive for heaven, but we also have a responsibility to strive for holiness in our lives right now. And as we've been looking at as we've been looking like this uh, at this, it might feel like there's a tension between the two. Like, how how can we look forward, but we also really care about about where we are at uh, in the moment? Um, and in some sense, there is a tension. We can't overlook one because we're so focused on the other. We can't overlook holiness because we're so focused on trying to get to heaven. But we also can't overlook heaven because we're so concerned with what's going on on here. There's a balance, uh, a balance uh, between these two desires, looking to there but also caring about here as well. What I hope we've seen, though, in this uh, uh, st- uh, st- study on heaven is that heaven is going to come. Heaven is going to come. What we're looking towards is one day going to be here. And since we have a confidence that it's going to come, we can be so caught up in the relationship that we have with God right now that we are helping to, to bring about what is, what is coming then. We can't have this, this uh, mindset of, of, you know, uh, here, here, uh, here and then, because as Tom pointed out a couple weeks ago, eternity is right now. We are in eternity, our relationship with God. If you are baptized in the blood of Jesus, your relationship with God has already started. It is, it is right now. And so this morning, we're going to look at some scripture that hopefully will help us to bridge the gap between here and there. It'll ho- hopefully help us realize what we are to be doing right now that is similar to what will be done in, in the future. The work of the kingdom, God's kingdom, is well underway. And praise be to God that 
by the blood of Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I get to be a part of that work. You and I get to be a part of the work of the kingdom. Before we talk about the kingdom, I, I want to remind us about why, why the kingdom work needs to be done in the first place. The primary message of Jesus on this earth, the primary message of, of Jesus' whole ministry is the kingdom is coming. The kingdom is coming. That's the, uh, one of the uh, first things that he says to the people. That's something that he continues to remind his disciples time and time again when he's telling these parables about what's to come. He's talking about the kingdom. And by Jesus being on earth, he is helping to, to, to bring in this kingdom. And the things that he does, the miracles that he does, the relationship that he has, is demonstrating that he is the king of, the, of this kingdom, that he's the one who, who is making this happen. But why did Jesus have to die in the way that he did? Why do we need the work of the kingdom to be done? The reason is, is because sin affects the whole person. Sin affects the whole person. The Old Testament uh, writers, especially in the Psalms and the prophets, repeatedly say that sin is a separation between us and God. Sin hurts our, our relationship with our Creator. But sin does not just hurt our relationship with God. Sin also hurts our relationships with others. It hinders our ability to relate well to the people around us. It hurts our ability to care about people in the way that we were created to care about other people. It hurts our relationship with creation. It hurts our, our relationship with ourself. Sin limits our ability to care about ourself as a person made in the image of God. Sin affects the whole person. It has theological, sociological, ecological, and personal effects on you and on me and on this world. And if Jesus is truly going to save us, if, if God is really going to do something that is going to heal what has happened on this earth, it's not going to be done just by repairing the relationship between us and God. Yes, that is a big part of what is done on the cross. But the effects of sin, all of the effects of sin, are healed with the sacrifice of Jesus. All of the effects of sin are repaired by the work of the kingdom. Jesus dies so that our life, all of creation, could be restored to the glory that it was when God created it, what he intended for that relationship to be. Us and God, us and creation, us and one another. That's why the, the, the good news of the kingdom is such good news for you and for me. It was, uh, it was read for us a moment ago, but I love First Thessalonians chapter 4. Um, uh, we started in verse 13. This is one of the places in the New Testament where we really get this this, this idea of, of what we can expect to give us encouragement for what's to come, what we can expect for the kingdom of God. 
And the reason that Paul writes this section is because he's writing to Christians who are concerned that the people around them who have died, the people around them who have passed on, the people around them who aren't alive anymore, well, they've missed out. They've already died before Jesus has come back. Christians are trying to understand. We know that Jesus is coming back. We, we know that there's a second kingdom that, that's going to be better for us, but we're kind of worried that people have missed the ship. Christians are wondering, what does it look like to wait for heaven? He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. Those who do not have hope, what uh, uh, the people that he's talking about are people who are, are not Christians, people who have not had the whole effects of sin wiped clean by Jesus. He goes on, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. The Christians that Paul's writing to are, are worried about them, and that worry, almost like a, a hopelessness about them, that worry is affecting their lives right now. Their worry about the other Christians who have passed on is hurting their ability to live as Christians. How, how, how can we look, how can we be excited for what's to come when we feel like we don't have hope right now? The instruction from Paul is that we can encourage one another with the good news that Jesus has conquered even death. And the kingdom of heaven is available to all who believe in Jesus, whether alive or dead. So, and this is, this is where we're going this morning. No matter where you are, no matter where we are on the timeline of the kingdom, okay, no matter where we are chronologically, in relation to when the kingdom is coming, we can still be encouraged because Jesus conquered death. So to help us think about the kingdom this morning and, and the encouragement that we can find, that Christians today can find, that Christians in, in the year 80 were finding, um, to help us understand what's coming, I, uh, I want to look at what Jesus said about the kingdom, what Jesus said his role in the kingdom, uh, in the kingdom was going to be. And I also want to look at um, how the message of, of the kingdom changes over time in, in the New Testament. If we compare all of the different ways that the New Testament talks, talks about, uh, about the kingdom and the different uh, themes that we see in, this, uh, in these kingdom scriptures and the message of Jesus and on into the message of the early church in, uh, uh, in Acts, there are really three different ways. There are, there are uh, uh, three types of ways that the New Testament talks about the kingdom. And these are all the same kingdom, okay? This is all the same kingdom. I don't want you to get, uh, get confused this morning. These are all the same kingdom, but the New Testament kind of talks about the kingdom of God in three different phases. Um, the kingdom of God is something that's being rolled out 
over time. Now, these are not clear-cut distinctions, okay? I, I don't want you to hear these words and think this is the way that it is. There's a lot of overlap in the way that the Bible talks about the kingdom because really the work of the kingdom is one great, one great redemptive work that God is bringing about to, to heal the whole effects of sin. And in a lot of ways, these eras of the kingdom that we're going to talk about complement each other. They're leading into each other, and really they're, they are working together. But I, I do think there's encouragement to be found by God's people, by understanding where on the timeline we are, about uh, where we are in the history of redemption. So these are the different eras that I see in the kingdom. And this is the work that Jesus comes to bring about. The first era is the near kingdom, the kingdom that is near. This is Jesus on earth. John the Baptist and Jesus both proclaimed this initial, this initial message that the kingdom of heaven was coming. That's what John the Baptist is saying when he's anticipating Jesus, and that's the first thing that Jesus says when he begins his ministry, that people need to repent and prepare for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Matthew chapter uh, 4, verse 17, and on, on to the end of the chapter, we, we see this clearly. In verse 17, it says, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the first thing that he says to begin his ministry. And immediately after the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the kingdom of heaven has come near, we see this at the end of Matthew chapter 4. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. The, the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven is coming. And yes, Jesus is performing these great miracles. He's healing these people of, of, of their illnesses. But really, these miracles, these great things that Jesus is doing, they are signs. They are evidence that the kingdom is coming close. They are evidence that the king is here. And since the king is, is now here on earth, the kingdom of heaven is here, you start to see the results. This, this inbreaking of the kingdom of God where the kingdom of God is, is coming into these broken, these broken places. When Jesus is coming into these people who are sick, who are oppressed by demons, well, he's going to make those things right. As the kingdom of heaven comes near, as Jesus is on earth, this is the first era of the kingdom work. And after the air kingdom, we move on to the frontier kingdom. The frontier kingdom. After the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, the language around the kingdom of God shifts. It is no longer the kingdom of heaven is coming or the kingdom of heaven is close or it's nearby. It's the kingdom of heaven is here. And the king has ascended. The king is enthroned. And the Holy Spirit is left as a helper, as a power, as a breath for the people of God, for Jesus' disciples in the frontier kingdom. This is how I, I, I would describe the Holy Spirit era. 
now that Jesus has been enthroned, the boundaries of Jesus' kingdom are expanding. Previously, in the air kingdom, the kingdom of God was moving about as Jesus was moving about. And you start to see the miracles, the effects of the kingdom of God happen as Jesus goes in the places that he goes. But in Acts chapter 2, or in Acts chapter 1, really, after Jesus ascends into heaven and the authority that's been given to him is then given to the apostles, the kingdom is no longer just where Jesus physically is, but it is now, now that Jesus has been enthroned, and now that the Holy Spirit is literally dwelling in believers, the frontier of the kingdom starts to expand. And I call it the frontier kingdom because wherever Christians go, when all, all the different spaces that these Christians are going, starting in Jerusalem on into the ends of the earth, they are to go into all the world and, my, and make disciples. And let me read this in Acts chapter 1, 7. It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has affixed by his own authority, but you will receive a power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. And the book of Acts is exactly that. We see that happening, that the Holy Spirit comes on the apostles, this authority, this presence of the Holy Spirit is given to God's people, and it starts in, uh, it starts in, in Jerusalem, it spreads to Judea, it spreads to Samaria, and it spreads to all the ends of the earth. This verse right here that I, I just read, Acts chapter 1, verse 7, that's the m m arching orders of the frontier kingdom. And we'll come back to that verse later because that's where you and I are right now. The final era of the kingdom, what comes after the frontier kingdom is the premier kingdom. This is the kingdom that we are looking forward to. The final kingdom, this is the big show. The second coming of Christ where the renewal that he began by coming onto this earth, when you start to see the inbreaking of the kingdom of God, when in, on an individual basis people are starting to be healed, in the premier kingdom, the whole world will be renewed. The whole world will be restored. And in some ways, it will be exactly what we have anticipated. We will anticipate the effects of sin being neutralized, we will, we often sing about it, that there would be no tears in heaven. And, and, and we can imagine what it would look like for sin to be removed from creation. Heaven, heaven on earth, so to speak. Our relationship with God healed for the rest of eternity. But in many ways, it is far beyond our comprehension. Because for as long as I've been alive, and as long as you all have been alive as well, Sin has hurt our relationship with God and with others, with creation and with ourselves. So we really can't imagine what it's like to be walking in the midst of the garden, vulnerable and innocent with our creator. The kingdom that's coming, this premier kingdom, the final era of the kingdom, it is the beginning of something new, we read at the end of Revelations, he says, I will make all things new. But the kingdom is not new. 
It is not a new idea that he just suddenly decided to start working on. This premier kingdom, it's been prepared since the foundations of the world. That's what we read in our reading last week in Matthew 25. The king says to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So even though that kingdom that's coming, it seems far off, the work of that kingdom is now, even if we are not already there yet. So we have these three eras of the kingdom, and what we need to understand about the work of this kingdom and, and the different phases that it's being rolled out in is that God is long-suffering and bringing about his kingdom. We can certainly find encouragement to know that God has been working to bring about this kingdom for a long time, dating back to the foundations of the world as we just read, but also on into the patriarchs in Genesis when God is giving his promises and his blessings to these people, promising to, to bring about this kingdom. And those people are not always perfect. But God continues to work to bring about his kingdom on into the nation of Israel when he, when he creates these holy spaces where he can, he can t- temporarily dwell with his, his people. But the nation of Israel was not always perfect. And God continues to be long-suffering to bring about his kingdom, literally sending his son on the earth to teach his disciples. But even his disciples are not always perfect. God is long-suffering in bringing about his kingdom. And the encouragement there for you and I is that the weight of this great kingdom, the weight of this great thing that's going to be brought into existence for you and for me, the weight of that is not on our shoulders. It is not on the shoulders of elders or ministers of the church. The weight is on Jesus' shoulders. Jesus carried the cross to the mountain. Jesus bore the weight of our sins. And when he comes to, to bring about this final era of the kingdom, when all things are made right, it will not be you who has to fix the world. It will not be you who has to solve the problems in your communities. It will be Jesus who does that. But that doesn't mean that you and I, in the frontier kingdom, in the Holy Spirit era, that doesn't mean that we do not have work that needs to be done. While God is working through Jesus by the Holy Spirit to bring about this kingdom, what are you and I called to do in our era, in the church era, the Holy Spirit era, in the frontier kingdom, while we're waiting for the premier kingdom to come? When Jesus is ascending, he, he declares to his, his disciples that all authority has been given to him. And then Jesus turns and gives the authority of Jesus to his disciples, to his apostles, to continue doing the work that Jesus was doing. So when we're wondering, what are we to do in the frontier kingdom? What is, what is our job right now? All we have to do is look at what Jesus was doing in the near kingdom, what Jesus was doing on this earth, so we have an idea of what we are called to do in our time on earth. In the near kingdom, Jesus worked as a prophet, Jesus worked as a priest, and Jesus worked as a proclaimer. In a sense, prophets carried miraculous power often to see the future. That's often probably what we think about when we, when we imagine a prophet, someone who can 
see what's going to happen and let people know. But a much more important task of a prophet, a much more um, everyday task that prophets were doing, is that prophets were intermediaries of God's will to the people. Prophets were looking at the world around them and interpreting it through the will of God. And that's what Jesus was doing in his time on earth. He's looking at the state of the Jews. He's looking at the state of the people, and he's saying, this is not what God wants for you. I am the way. And as a prophet, Jesus is interpreting the world around him, and as people who are now in the frontier era with that same authority, we serve as a type of prophets, a type of prophet in the world around us, interpreting the things in our lives through the lens of God, interpreting the things that are happening in, in the news, in, in, in the spaces around us, interpreting those in a manner that points people to the will of God. We are prophets in, in our, our kingdom work. And also in the near kingdom, Jesus functioned as a priest. You see this in Hebrews. Uh, the Hebrews writer explains a lot what it means for, for Jesus to be the, the high priest. Priest facilitated, in the Old Testament, priest facilitated holy spaces so that people could interact with God. That was the, the, the uh, summary of the role of a priest, that they would, they would perform offerings and sacrifices, and they would continue these holy spaces so people could come and interact with God. When Jesus was on this earth, he was exhibiting what that looked like, what it looked like to, to be the Father. I, am, I, and the, I and the Father are one. He is this holy space where if you know Jesus, you know the Father. If you know the Father, you know me. He is walking around bringing these holy spaces to people as a priest. And a part of our work in the kingdom is to be a priest, to in our lives, in our church, in our communities, to create and to maintain holy spaces where people can come and interact with the presence of God which if you are a Christian and the Holy Spirit is dwelling with you, you have that authority to create holy spaces in your life as a priest. In the near kingdom, Jesus also functioned as a proclaimer. As a proclaimer, Jesus and uh, John the Baptist also did this as well. They were heralds. They were people who were announcing, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. But by their words, they were not just spreading the news. With their, with their words, with their mouths, they were literally bringing in the kingdom. In Isaiah chapter 40, which is uh, looking to the life of John the Baptist, it's uh, uh, also found at the beginning of Luke chapter 2. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Following Isaiah's prophecy, John the Baptist was a herald, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent. But John the Baptist and Jesus were not just telling people 
it was coming. They were preparing that highway for God to come. They were preparing that highway for the kingdom to come near. And a part of our job as proclaimers is to, and this goes in line with our responsibility to create and maintain holy spaces. It's to bring holiness, to bring the work of Jesus, to bring God into spaces in our lives where it has not previously been. Make a highway in the desert. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That's a part of our, our work in the kingdom, to be proclaimers. These things that Jesus was doing on this earth as a, uh, as a prophet, as a priest, and a, and a proclaimer, that's what we are called to do. Because Jesus' work in this life is our work. The things that Jesus did in the first era of the kingdom are the things that his disciples are called to do in the second era of the kingdom. When we read scripture when we look at the life of Jesus like our adult class has been doing on Sunday mornings, those things that Jesus is doing, those are the things that we are called to do. It is not just an ideal that we should admire. It's an example that we should follow. And the kinds of things that Jesus is doing for the people around him are the kinds of things that you are to do for the people around you if you are a child of God, a baptized a baptized believer. Since we have this work now that we are to be doing and we have this confidence for what's coming next, here's how we find encouragement. We read earlier from 1 Thessalonians chapter ch- chapter 4 and I'll, I'll come to that in just a moment. Last week we talked about idolatry and how heaven can be an idol of sorts if we only see it as the hopeful end goal and it doesn't influence our lives right now. Holiness can have the same effect if we're so caught up in living in holiness that we treat it as a set of rules, uh, a here is the way I become holy. Because holiness is not the real end goal either. Just like heaven is not the real end goal, the real end goal is a relationship with God. It's a relationship where we can relate to our creator once again. And at the end of this, of this reading, after Paul gives encouragement to the Christians who are worried about then, they're worried about heaven, he says, encourage one another with these words. The confidence that we have in heaven and the confidence that we have to live in holiness today are an encouragement to one another. And if it is not an encouragement to you that you should be holy and that we should strive for heaven, maybe it's because we need to reframe the way that we think about these things. Heaven is not the end goal. It's, heaven is not really what we want. It's a relationship with God. The same thing is true for holiness. Holiness is not a part of the formula. Holiness is a result. Holiness is a result of our relationship with God. We cannot make ourselves holy in order to be with God. We cannot make ourselves holy in order to get to heaven. If we have a relationship with God, we will be holy. 
And if we have a relationship with God, heaven will be our, our eternity. This means that when we're doing the kingdom work, doing good, doing good things here in this life, we will do them even if it means we do not reap physical benefits. We will do kingdom work even if we do not see the results in our life right now. We don't do kingdom work because it makes our life better. We do kingdom work because we are one with God again, because the Holy Spirit is within us. And if we think that by doing good things, our lives will be better, and if we think that by doing good things, we will be able to make this world better, hopefully that happens. Hopefully that happens. But if that's our mindset, then our good works, too, become an idol. Good works are a response to a godly relationship. They are not the way that we get to the place that we want to go. I read this earlier in Acts chapter 1, verse 7, and I think it's really important for how we, how we weigh, striving for holiness and striving for heaven. This is what Jesus tells the disciples immediately before he ascends into heaven. He's ascending, he's saying, guys, I'm going to come back while you wait. In verse, Acts chapter 1, verse 7, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. It's really tempting for us, I think, sometimes to see the events that are happening in this world, and we see maybe the illnesses or the natural disasters, and to point to Revelation or to other, other areas of the New Testament and say, oh, this is it. This, this is when the end is coming. This is a sign that the end is here. This is a, a sign that the premier kingdom is coming. In the frontier kingdom, it is not for us to worry about when the premier kingdom comes. It is for us to worry about being witnesses of the Holy Spirit, to focus on the work that we have because of our relationship with God. We started a couple weeks ago in 1 Peter chapter 1, where Peter is writing to Christians who are really for the first time experiencing some intense persecution. And they are certainly worried about their lives, and they're worried about heaven, and they're worried about their ability to continue to follow Jesus given the circumstances in the government in their day. And the encouragement that Peter has for them is really similar to the encouragement that Paul has for the church in Thessalonica. It's all tied to a relationship with Jesus. The relationship with Jesus is something that we have that is to be envied. The relationship that we have with Jesus is something that we have that is something to be desired. So much so that at the end of uh, near the end of First Peter chapter one, he says, "Even the angels long to look unto these things." Even the angels are envious of the type of relationship that we get to have with Jesus. Now that sounds strange, right? Because when we think about the angels, they're in heaven. You know, they're already giving praise and glory to our creator. It's a reminder that 
Heaven is not the end goal. A relationship with Jesus, a relationship with God is the end goal. Heaven is a result of that. And holy living is a result of that as well. But that relationship is not something that starts when the premier kingdom comes. That relationship with God through Jesus is not something that starts when Jesus comes back. It starts right now, when we give our lives to Jesus. When we accept the gift that he's given us, the sacrifice of his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Christians should not miss the work of the kingdom today because we're so focused on what's coming tomorrow. Next week, we'll take another look at the premier kingdom, and we'll look at really what the New Testament says about what's coming, some of the uh, ideals and the thoughts around the heavenly realm, because we really do have an idea of what we can look for. But we are not waiting for then in order to have a relationship with God. Because in the Holy Spirit era, I want to remind us this morning as we, as we close, in the Holy Spirit era, the church era, we all have our own frontiers. We have a work that needs to be done. And all the different spaces in your life, go into all the world and make disciples. Go into all the world and be Jesus in your world. And that looks like something completely different for all of our lives. We all have different households and families and communities and works. In the different spaces in your life, you are to be a prophet and to interpret the events in your, in your realms, in your spheres, in light of your relationship with Jesus. In your frontiers, you are to be a priest, creating and maintaining holy spaces, and you're to be a proclaimer, bringing holiness to places where it has not previously been. While we are waiting for Jesus to come back, the kingdom work is well underway, and it's done by people like you and me. Is the Holy Spirit leading you in these spaces? Is the Holy Spirit leading you for kingdom work, or have we been sitting back and waiting for the kingdom work to be done for us? If you are not yet a Christian, if you have not yet received the gift of the sacrifice of Jesus, the whole effects of sin are still, are still being felt in your life, and you need to know that you cannot live a life that is worthy of, of, of what you were created to be because of the hold that sin has on your heart and your soul. You need Jesus. You need to be baptized so that your sins can be forgiven. If you, if you need to be baptized for the first time, if you need to give your life to Jesus, we would love to help make that happen. You too could have the Spirit dwelling within you and your work in the kingdom, your relationship with God could start today. If you are a Christian, but maybe you've been neglecting your kingdom work, maybe you've been so focused on things that are happening in your world, maybe you've been a little bogged down with some of the uh, poor choices that you have made in your kingdom work. Our Lord is long-suffering, and he is still 
ready for you to commit your life to Jesus. If you have any need, whether it's in person or on Facebook this morning, we, we hope that you would m- make it known. You can you could let us know right now. You could reach out to one of the ministers later in the week or, or one of our elders. But brothers and sisters, I pray that we find encouragement in what's to come. But I also pray that we find encouragement in the work that God is doing in our lives right now. And even if we die before the kingdom comes, before the premier kingdom is here, if we pass on before the big show, that's okay, because our Lord has conquered death. And the real thing that we have that is to be envied is the relationship that you can find with Jesus in your life right now. And where that leads us on into eternity, praise be to God for that. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus this morning, or you have been standing in the way of that relationship, if you have any need this morning, won't you make it known right now as we stand and we sing?